0: Welcome everyone, you're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg.
1: It's standing up for what is right and not caving in to those ideologies, those doctrines, those culturally accepted norms that are being rammed down our throats through the media, and liberal universities, and theologians, and politicians. We need to contend for the faith. In Philippians, Paul said, stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, one mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, right? This one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Can I ever say?
0: everyone and welcome to truth in christ radio today jude tells us what we are contending for there is a lot of earnest contention in the world but usually not for the right things the faith once for all delivered to the saints is something worth contending for the faith doesn't mean our own personal belief or faith in the sense of how we trust in god The phrase, the faith, means the essential truths of the gospel that all true Christians hold in common. The faith is the body of truth that very early in the church's history took on a definite form. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's message.
1: No church should turn anyone away who's seeking the truth, no matter what they are, no matter who they are. They should be welcomed in the church, and we ought to embrace them. Not embrace them in their sin, but embrace them as they are changing and encouraging them to change, as we all are as well. Amen? But to put a, 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 a gay minister in the pulpit is like putting a blind man in the cockpit of a 747 filled with people and no instruments, no autopilot to flip a button. That's what it's like, the blind leading the blind. And what did Jesus say? Both will fall into the ditch. And so, do we need to contend for the faith? Yes, we do. And this is hard. I understand that. In Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, Jesus gave a letter to John uh, to the the church at Laodicea, and this is called the Lukewarm Church. And uh, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write these things, says the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And here is his message to them. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, you're miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And here's the remedy. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see... And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Remember, God chastens those whom he loves. And chastening is with instruction. It's not just to pound on you because you've done something wrong. No, chastening has, there's a a purpose behind it. And the purpose is instruction. It may be difficult, it may not be pleasant, but the idea is to instruct you so that you don't do it again. And we need that instruction, don't we? I need to be chastened. Otherwise, I'm going to be living a life that is completely abandoned to the flesh. When your kids are young, you tell them, Honey, don't touch that glowing circle on top of the stove. You tell them that. And they invariably will touch it. But they learn. Unfortunately, they learn the hard way. And see, we need to learn. We need to listen to the Lord. We need to listen and obey. Listen and obey God's word. He says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And therefore, be zealous and repent. Turn the direction of your life. Behold, he says, I stand at the door and knock. Why does he even have to knock? Aren't you welcome, Lord? You're welcome in this place. May it always be true that Jesus could walk in any time here and feel very comfortable with what is being shared and all of our love toward him and toward each other. May that be the case for us. He says, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him, and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, and as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has near, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We're going to be getting into Revelation in a couple weeks, and we'll be getting into this letter. But make your calling and your election sure. Contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter exhorts us, he says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. I shared this last week, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you can read that in context from chapter or verses 5 down through 11. But if you, if you lack boldness, there's no need to be discouraged. It is, uh, and, and because if we do lack the boldness... If we, are, if we are not filled with the Spirit of God, chances are we won't contend for the faith. That's why the filling of the Spirit of God is so necessary. And unfortunately, we've seen so many aberrations in the church that everyone is afraid of it. And for good reason. There have been uh, uh, churches that have that have showed people supposedly filled by, with the Spirit, and they're running around clucking like chickens, slithering on the floor like a snake, barking like dogs, flapping their, their arms like wings. Like they got wings, acting like the lower creatures that God has created. But why does God say, You're my poema, you're my masterpiece? Would he call you see any do you see any any part in the book of Acts? Anywhere, anywhere in the Bible where that's really promoted by any of the disciples? There's nothing. There's nothing. But filled with the Spirit of God is something beautiful. And when it comes, when He comes upon the person and fills that person, there is true peace, there's unity, there's love, there's compassion, there's all those fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians. All those things are happening. And you like to be around that person. You're like, man, they are just the most gracious person. See, some people have this funny uh, idea that being filled with the Spirit means, you, you're, means you're the type of person that's really stringent and full of rules. And it looks like you've been sucking on lemons all day. And your mouth is puckered up. Lousy sinner. You know, have you seen people like that? I have. Are they fun to be around? No. I'd rather hang out with a murderer. And yet God calls us to a greater, greater place. Are you willing to take that challenge? Are you willing to say, Lord, pray, make it a prayer uh, every day of your life. And let God do what he's going to do. Don't even worry about it. Just be open. Say, Lord, I need you. I need everything you have for me. Please fill me today. Fill me to overflowing. May I learn how to be gracious. May I learn how to love. Lord, teach me. Cleanse me. Heal me, Father. Change my heart and my mind. But we need to contend for the faith. I recently received a, an email from Jay Seculo from the American Center for Law and Justice, or known as the ACLJ. And let me just read to you what it says. And, and again, the, these are things that you probably read yourself. You might even have got the same email. It says, For years, our brave men and women in the military have been able to choose to select dog tags from a faith-based company that inscribes Bible verses on them. Scriptures like Joshua 1, Be strong and courageous. And Psalm 27, verse 3, Though my enemies attack me, I will not fear. And that they have ministered, to many in combat. Now, an extreme anti Christian group has demanded, they've demanded the Bible verses be banned from the dog tads, even calling them poison. And even worse, the military caved. They caved in. I don't know about you, but that disgusts me. Does it disgust you? Now, does that mean we go grab our guns and, 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 and try and make a point, literally? No, we don't do that kind of nonsense. You go to your knees and you pray. <laughs> we go to our knees and we pray. And we be vocal. We must be vocal about our faith. It's not meant to be hide. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Don't hide your light under a bed. For if you do, you're going to set the whole thing on fire. Number one, it's, a, it's, a, it's free advice. Don't put a lamp under a bed, under a bushel. It's gonna kindling. You get it. It's going to be a campfire. Get out the s'mores. Don't put your light under a bushel. Don't put your light under the bed, but let your light so shine that, they, that people will see your good works and they will glorify you. No, they'll glorify their Father which is in heaven. And see, that's what we are to be about. And don't be discouraged if you're not in that place. Just simply start praying again. Praying in earnest. And pray, God, fill me. I can't live another day I don't want to live another day unless you fill me every single day. According to your will, not mine, you fill me, Lord. I want it. I want it. I want you. I want your likeness in my life. And everything I say, everything I do, let it be true of us. And contending for the faith is certainly, first, contending for the veracity and the inspiration and the authority of the Scripture. Do you understand? You have to contend for it. People in past ages, hundreds of years ago, gave their lives for what you hold in your hand today. They've given their lives. This book has had such an incredible impact on the culture of the entire world. It is God's love letter to you. It is God's instructions for us in godliness and and, and knowing how to receive him. And it's also... Contending for the faith is standing up and holding fast to the teachings of Christ and the gospel and the word of God in totality. Every single bit of it, every single bit, it's standing up for what is right and not caving in to those ideologies, those doctrines, those culturally accepted norms that are being rammed down our throats through the media and liberal universities and theologians and politicians. We need to contend for the faith in Philippians, Paul said, "Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind. One mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus." Right? This one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, striving together. Does that sound like contend? That's really what it is. It's 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 struggling for it. It's at, at whatever cost it takes. We we don't give in. We we don't cave. Why is everybody caving? I, I, I mean, I see so many organizations caving. And I know why it is. It's money. Why do? Why does, uh, you know, the, the worst thing that, <laughs> it's just amazing to me how a Christian company, they, they, they stand on the word of God, and, and some of them are really standing true. I know there's one baker, uh, that there was a baker who was in uh, next to some university, I forget where it was now, uh, but he was a Christian man, and he had this really successful bakery. And he refused to, uh, uh, service someone who was of a same-sex marriage and they wanted to order a wedding cake for he and uh, his partner. And he refused. And so the gay couple sued the, um, the baker. And the baker won. And the baker won. Because guess what? They have a choice. right? They can go down the street. Somebody else will do it with, for no problem. Save them a lot of time and money just to exercise the freedom to go somewhere down the street and someone will make them a cake. But it's not good enough, is it? They got to destroy that man. But thank God he contended and he stood up for himself, stood up for the Lord, stood up for the truth, and says, I will not. You can take my business. You know what? He's probably thriving more now than he's ever been because now that the the news has gotten out, how many Christians are like ordering, having cakes ordered overnight, you know, for, for the faith of this guy? So contend for the faith. Don't cave in like the Hallmark Channel did. Remember the, um, and in First Corinthians chapter nine. Beginning in verse 19, Paul said this to the Corinthians, he says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, and to the, uh, and, and, and that I might win the weak, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partaker of it with you. And here it is. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run but one receives the prize? So the exhortation is run in such a way that you may obtain it. The word run in that verse 24 is a word that means to to exert oneself and to strive hard to spend one's entire strength for performing or attaining something. And Paul goes on and he says, and everyone who competes for the prize. There's our word that we read, and the same word that we have in our text this morning for contend. Paul's saying, now, everyone who competes, it's the same exact word, competes for the prize is temperate, meaning you're, you're not giving you to, you're, you're exercising self-restraint, you're self-controlled. And boy, do we need that. As we look around today, there's very little self-control. Only in the church do you see it. But so many folks are so out of control... And Paul, in writing his letter to Timothy, he said this, he says, But you, O man of God, flee these things. And he's speaking of the greed and error that are mentioned prior in that chapter. But he says, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. And here it is, Fight the good fight of faith. The word fight is the same word, contend. Same thing we're talking about. "...fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses." And then Paul, in his letter, his final letter, actually, his, his very last letter to Timothy, he said this. He says in Second Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, he says to Timothy, "...preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching." For the time will come, and we are in that time, by the way, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They like sermonettes. They like small little fragments. Ten, fifteen minutes in the Word, and the rest is just filled with current events and things that make you feel good about yourself, so that I leave feeling good about myself. If our church becomes a place where we come to feel good about ourselves, we're really missing it. I feel good because I'm in Christ alone. That's 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 where I, That's why I, if there's any good that I feel, it's only because I'm in Him. Amen. <laughs> it's not because I'm, I'm being encouraged and saying, you know, you're really not that bad. You know, you just misunderstood. You know, when you robbed that bank yesterday, you just you couldn't help it. You know, after all, the devil made you do it. It wasn't you. The devil made you do it. You poor thing. Now don't do it again. Okay. Don't do it again. We're going to let you go this time, and we'll give you a check for $100 to help you out. In your, you know, but, but don't rob the banks again. He says, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And that's what we're hearing today in a lot of churches, fables. Stories. I remember one time we were recently at a, uh, at a conference, for um, a a Bible quizzing thing. And one of the men got up in front of all these children, a bunch of young, impressionable, formidable minds, and he says to them, I really don't think that Jonah was swallowed by the whale. He said, I think that's just a story. That's just a children's story. I mean, there's some people who believe in that kind of thing, but he says, but I don't believe it. He said, a lot of the the, um, uh, parables are just stories. They're not real. I mean, there's some that were were Jesus, but, but Jonah, Jonah was one man that Jesus said was a real man, and yet this man undermined the faith of all these young people. He'd much rather tell them the story of Jonah. Let me tell you about a man who went in a little boat, and he went across the Mediterranean. The wind started to rock and roll. Next thing you know, they threw him out. You know, and, and you know, tell the story like it's just a, a story. That's what we're up against. That's what's happening. And may God help us that we always stay true to the word. And, and pray for me, too, that I wouldn't be seduced by any doctrine of demons. And there are plenty of them out there. The only thing, the only recourse for not being deceived is, is being in the word of God. That's the only remedy. There's no Cliffs Notes version of it. You just have to get into it. It's a relationship, right? It's a relationship. God wants to have the relationship with you. Whatever you have, he wants it to be better. Do you want it to be better? I believe you do because if you're here, you want that. You want that to be better. And really pray about that. Say, "Lord, I want I want that. I want that, Lord. Please help me." But later on in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's very last letter, I love what he said. He said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, He says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. This is right before Nero, Caesar Nero, would cut the head off Paul. He would execute him. And Paul, I believe, knew his time was short because he said it. He says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought. And there's our word again, contend. I have fought. Notice he exhorted Timothy, Fight the good fight. And now Paul, at the end of his time, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have contended for the faith. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me. Wow. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also all to all those who love his appearing. Isn't that awesome? You know, sometimes I forget I think we we can forget. Maybe not you, and maybe not anybody in this room, but it's worth take, talking about because this message is not just for us here. This is going to go out over a radio at some point, or the potential for hundreds of thousands, even a couple million people are going to be able to hear. We need to contend for the faith. And it's not just... Defending the faith and being able to speak concerning it, but it's also putting it into practice. Why would anybody want to hear what we have to say if we are not demonstrating it ourselves? You know, it's like the parent who says to their teenage son or daughter, um, Stop smoking. Stop smoking, Sally. And then Sally will look up, But mommy, you smoke. And daddy smokes. So I'm going to continue smoking. But when the parent says, You know what? This is my last pack today. And they crumple it up and they throw it in the trash. And they go through the withdrawal symptoms and strangle everybody in the house. They uh, now the children are looking and say, "Wow, they mean business. I can do this too. It's expensive. It's killing me. I'm going to do it as well." Usually, no one will follow unless they see the example. And who is our greatest example? Who is the prototype? Jesus Christ, the righteous, the Son of God, the Son of the Living God, God the Father. The Almighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of peace, that's who He is. He's the prototype. Let's live that life that Christ died to secure for us. so much so that we can you know we can look at if you remember in John chapter 15, uh, Jesus talking to his disciples in that upper room, just hours before he would be wrongfully accused and taken. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Literally lifts up. That's what it means. Not take away. It's like lifting up. Any vine that that is in me that does not bear fruit, it's lifted up. That's literally what it means. It's lifted out of the mud, propped up with a rock so that the sun can hit it. That's who you are and and we are if we are not uh, abiding in him. Or every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he wants to encourage that. And notice, in every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. So what? What's the purpose of that? So that it may bear much fruit. If you're a, if you're a farmer, you know that. You prune the branches so that more life can come when it is bearing fruit. And he says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Have you ever tried to prove that wrong? (laughs) I have tried to prove it wrong. Lord, I can do something without you. I can breathe without you. Watch this. not true. Even our very next breath is a gift of God. He says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, and why? That you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. I love that. Bearing much fruit. See, that's the, the desire of the heart, and the heart of the Lord for you and for me that we would bear much fruit, not just fruit, but much fruit, more and more fruit. That's what he wants. Does everybody, everybody smile. I know this is kind of heavy.
0: I'm sorry. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Jude.